everyone, and welcome to the Modern Money Smart Pod. I'm Colin Hogan. And I'm Sean McMahon. Our guest today is Ken Benson, President and CEO of the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association. Known as SIFMA, this organization brings together broker-dealers, investment banks, and asset managers to advocate for effective and resilient capital markets. But not only is Ken the head of SIFMA, which is based in the U.S., he's also the leader of the Global Financial Markets Association, which is a forum that brings SIFMA together with the Asia Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association, or ASIFMA, and the Association for Financial Markets in Europe, AFME. If something's happening in the financial markets around the world, then Ken knows about it. And that's good for this conversation because one of the themes that has become obvious when it comes to ESG and sustainable finance is that it's going to take a coordinated global effort to tackle the complexities of climate finance. Yes, so we're excited to talk to Ken to get his comprehensive perspective from around the world. Looking ahead, next week we're going to close out the year with what we call the Smart Brief 7. The Smart Brief 7 is a rundown of the seven stories Sean and I found most interesting during 2021. Now, to be clear, we aren't saying these are the most important stories or the most valuable or even the most scandalous. They're simply the stories that we, as the people who read all the news, will remember the most. Yes, that term, most interesting, gives us lots of room to run when it comes to stories about financial markets in 2021, doesn't it, Colin? (laughs) Indeed. So watch for that fun episode to drop next week. And before we kick things off with Ken, here's a quick word from the exclusive sponsor of today's episode, ICE. Environmental, social, and governance issues are in the spotlight. Investors need the markets, data, and indices to understand how their decisions impact the planet, people, and their portfolios. ICE provides data, markets, and analytics to help you measure performance, manage risk, and connect to opportunity. For more information, visit ice.com slash connect to ESG or click on the link in the show notes. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of the Modern Money Smart Pod. Colin and I are extremely excited to welcome our guest today, Ken Benson. Ken is the president and CEO of SIFMA, the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association. He's also currently in charge of GFMA the Global Financial Markets Association. Ken, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it seems like our conversation is quite timely because earlier this week, GFMA hosted its second annual Global Capital Markets Sustainable Finance Conference. And I'm curious if you have any takeaways you want to share with us from that event. Yeah, I'd love to. And, and again, thank you for having me. I'll start regarding the GFMA conference. You're right. We had our second annual global conference on sustainable finance. The GFMA, as you said, the global partner of SIFMA, AFME, and ASIFMA has put out now two papers around climate finance or sustainable finance, one in 2020 and, and then one earlier this year. The first looked to try and size the sustainable finance market, which we estimate to be growing to a cost of about 3 to $5 trillion a year to meet the Paris Accords, and then a paper looking at carbon markets, which are a key component, we believe, to you know developing a robust, sustainable finance marketplace to achieve both the Paris Accords and then some of the issues uh, you know coming out of COP26. So yesterday at our conference, I'd say the key issues that were talked about involved, again, as I stated, how carbon markets Uh, are becoming increasingly fundamental to the task of achieving net zero emissions. And the panelists we're talking about, they're really going to need to scale up, you know, as much as 10 times over the next decade. 
They're going to need to become less fragmented. You know, you have markets developing in Europe, in you know some regions of the United States, but they're still pretty fragmented. We still have, in some cases, compliance markets, in other cases, very much more voluntary regimes. Those are going to need to be integrated and become complementary of, of one another. Compliance regimes are going to need to grow geographically and across sectors. And those are really big policy issues for policymakers to make. Voluntary markets, which there's been a lot of work done on by a, a number of our fellow trades in the industry, are going to need to grow to allow corporates to take more responsibility for their uncovered emissions and compensate for emissions that can't be avoided today. And then the other takeaway I would say is, you know, banking and capital markets are really going to be there to help scale these markets up by building new capabilities, expanding product offerings that will support market formation, build liquidity, and bring increasing price transparency. So a really good conference, a lot of takeaways. Again, this is, you know, an ever-evolving financial marketplace, a lot of work to be done, but a lot of work is being done. And you mentioned how, you know, earlier this year we had COP26 and that was all over the news. So in addition to carbon markets and some of the role that banks have to play, were there any other themes in the event earlier this week that kind of took the handoff from Glasgow and ran with it? There were presentations from some of the non-financial corporate sector talking about what they were doing, the transport sector, and how they are trying to become, you know, move to net zero. And certainly, you know, coming out of commitments made at COP26, but, but even I think more importantly, also talking about consumer demand is driving this in many cases. And so I found that quite interesting because we obviously come at this from a finance bent, given that's who we represent and the role that markets and financial institutions will play in not just investment in green energy or whatever it may be, but also in transitional or transformational areas. But we don't often hear from the corporates who are in many cases where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And so I, I think that was interesting how they're adopting sort of post-COP26. So we've seen a lot of momentum with sustainable finance this year, COP26 certainly being a big part of that. As that continues, what do you see as the most important role SIFMA and GFMA are going to play in this movement? Well, as trade associations focused on the capital markets, you know, if you if you think about SIFMA, we represent approximately 80% of the broker-dealer sector by market share in the U.S. and on the asset management side, north of 50% of assets under management. And then if you look at GFMA, which brings together, as I said, SIFMA, AFME, our colleagues in Europe and, a and ASIFMA in Asia, ex-Japan, although we do have an affiliation with another Japanese group, the Japanese Financial Markets Council, you really capture the broad global market, capital markets, uh, sell-side participants. So our members are front and center engaged in not just in the sort of policy arenas around things like COP26, but also in developing products and markets to serve their clients in the non-financial corporate sector to serve their clients in, in particularly at SIFMA in the investment side on the buy side and not just on the institutional buy side but obviously we have a huge wealth management policy practice where there's increasing demand in the retail sector for a sustainable product. And so as a result of that, we have sort of development that we're looking at from a business policy standpoint of how you develop these markets. But we're also interlocutor on behalf of the industry with our regulators. So here in the US, for instance, very engaged with the SEC, CFTC, prudential regulators as they look at these issues and how 
You know, I always like to say when regulators write rules, and we certainly comment on those rules, ultimately at the end of the day, when the rules go final, while the regulators have a major role to play, so does the industry that has to comply with those rules and really implement those rules and build the policies and protocols and in some cases technology, whatever it is. And so SIFMA plays a very important role in not only in advocating on behalf of our members' interests before the regulators, but also working with the regulators and our members as we move to implement the rules. And so we expect to see, you know, a lot of activity out of the SEC in particular, and, and then I think subsequently out of the prudential regulators in this space, and, and SIFMA will be in the middle of that. And likewise, at the GFMA global level, we'll continue to be, you know, putting out commentary and thought pieces with respect to developing these markets globally. And now you mentioned how the development of carbon markets has been a hot topic, you know, both at the GFMA conference and at COP26. And we had Gordon Bennett from ICE actually on a previous episode kind of talking about how that market is going to grow. So how do you see that market evolving? I mean, there's a lot of jurisdictions all over the world. Where do you see that going in the next five to 10 years? Well, I think, you know, there are a couple of different parts. And again, I'd refer your listeners to some of the earlier work that we did at the GFMA level on on sort of trying to size out the broader climate market and then most recently looking at carbon markets. And there are a lot of other pieces I know we'll get into that get into this of, you know, that'll be underpinnings of developing those markets, things around disclosure and, and the like. But in the carbon markets, you have certain jurisdictions who have set up carbon markets. We have certain parts of the US, right, particularly in the West and, and in the Northeast that have sort of regional carbon markets. But we don't really have a global carbon market structure in the same way that you would if you look at, say, the equity markets or the swaps markets. And you don't, necessarily have what some consultants will call compliance markets established by which, you know, there is either a mandatory price on carbon or offset requirement. We're more in the voluntary offset stage right now. So some of these things are going to have to be developed. And one of the things that we're focused on, and I didn't hear the the ICE presentation, but I'm pretty confident they would agree with this, is you're going to need to get not only sort of developing the underpinnings and, and requirements, but you're also going to need to get consistency across markets because inevitably these are going to grow to be global markets or they should grow to be global markets and not be regionalized and fragmented in order to be efficient. So, you know, it's really a nascent stage now, but regional policymakers are going to have to think globally as they do these. All right. Now, for starters, we will go ahead and link to those papers, the earlier research that SIFMA produced. But getting back to the carbon market, so they're pretty mature. But you also mentioned that a lot of the, the corporates and consumers are kind of demanding you know, investment and growth in, in other offerings. And so you know, we talk a lot about green energy. Do you see a potential where renewables contracts in the form of wind and solar, where that market might grow someday to be as mature as the market for carbon? No, I think so. I mean, there's been some in the U.S., there's been a little bit of nascent work of, you know, sort of securitizations around solar and wind farms. It's still a nascent market in that area. But I personally think that those markets will grow as a form of financing. I think so far it's been more of an equity financing market. But, you know, as you get to a situation where you've got, you know, wind farms that are wheeling power on a more consistent basis and developing a steady revenue stream, that to me, that's very ripe in developing a form of securitization. Or if you look at, you know, maybe not the right example, but look at, you know, sort of the you know, previous natural gas market and things like that. So I, I absolutely believe that that's going to be another area of finance on, on how you can basically securitize the finance, you know, the revenue stream off of these large projects that are out there. You've mentioned the inconsistencies with carbon markets and, and the sort of fragmentation that exists there. So I guess I'm curious, what do you think needs to be done either from public sector, private sector to kind of ensure 
better interoperability between voluntary and compliance markets? You know, we try to get us in our paper, I think in terms of the voluntary is, is developing standards around what's being achieved through the voluntary offsets that are material to fit into a traditional marketplace instrument that is not as necessarily as robust as in a compliance market. So I think that's a key component. I think the other thing that's going to be necessary is... Um, or at least, let me put it this way, from an economics perspective, and again, this is a major policy question, is how do you incentivize these markets to grow? And economists pretty unanimously will tell you that you've got to rationalize the price of carbon. And at the current level, it's not really there. So that raises a lot of questions of what's the impact of you know setting a price of carbon and, and how does that spread out across the general economy. But that's going to be a key component as well. And then uh, obviously, and it, it can be controversial, but again, something policymakers need to think about is you know how do you address, if you will, seepage across borders? And this is something the Europeans have been looking at, trying to uh, address kind of cross-border avoidance of mandates and capturing that. So there are a lot of policy questions that have to be addressed. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll hear Ken's thoughts on the global boom in ESG investing. Environmental, social, and governance issues are in the spotlight. Issues like climate change, diversity, and data privacy have growing influence across the investment cycle, from assessing exposure to allocating capital and achieving sustainability goals. Investors need markets, data, and indices to help them understand how their decisions impact the planet, people, and their portfolios. ICE provides quality data, analytics, and markets to help you measure performance, manage risk, and connect to opportunity. For more information, visit ice.com slash connect to ESG, or click on the link in the show notes. And now back to our conversation with Ken Benson from SIFMA and GFMA. So speaking of policy, it seems like you and the team at SIFMA and GFMA are kind of well positioned to see what's going on all around the world. And you mentioned earlier how policymakers should be you know, thinking globally and acting locally. So what do you see as the mission at your organization when it comes to all this? Because we see different levels of progress around the world. In the EU, they got the EU taxonomy that kind of aims at ESG investing. The SEC is going to come out probably next quarter or two with, with our own rules of disclosure here in the U.S. So at SIFMA and GFMA, are you trying to kind of use all the, the best practices and kind of share those around the world? Or are you trying to establish global standards or, or what's the approach you're taking? Well, I, I think it's probably unrealistic to assume you're going to get strict global standards and maybe not a good idea either. But I do think you can have global consistency, particularly when you think about disclosure and taxonomy. And actually, you know, when you consider the fact that the Europeans have been sort of a first mover on this, particularly around things around taxonomy, and it, and it hasn't been easy. I mean, they're still working through a lot of issues. I don't want to speak for my colleagues in Europe, and so I'll give more of a sort of a view from America. But I think it's proven to be instructive as the U.S. looks at this of where Europe has run into issues that, you know, we might avoid. The other thing is, you know, we have today in financial markets, you know, we do have a pretty robust disclosure regime, particularly in the US for, you know, just generally speaking on financial basis uh, for, you know, public issuers. And it's a pretty strong model to build off of. 
in developing an ESG disclosure regime. Europe has their regime, other jurisdictions as well. They're not necessarily going to be identical, but they can be close on principle. And we've been able to, again, if you go back to sort of you know traditional financial markets, we've been able to largely engage in cross-border finance. Issuers have been able to access different markets coming off their local regime. We ought to be able to do that in the ESG space. I think the other thing that we do need to think about, though, globally is we have multiple efforts out there looking at different types of disclosure, climate-related disclosure and taxonomy. And if you just think about you have the TCFD, the SASB, the GRI, the WEF. And at some point, and, and I think this is happening, we're going to have to close in on sort of, again, a, at least a high-level principle that local jurisdictions, the US, the European uh, Union, the UK, you know, across Asia can sort of build off of. They won't necessarily be the same just as they aren't today between, say, what the SEC requires in a 10K or 10Q versus what Europe may require. But if they're working off the same principles then I think we can get to a, a workable solution. But this, again, this is a work in progress. Again, this is a new area of finance. I, and I just say this, you know, in terms of SIFMA, GFMA's role, I mean, again, as I said at the outset, we're very engaged with this with our members here in the U.S. and, and have had filed extensive comments with the SEC as they're considering this question. And, and I know our colleagues in Europe have done the same at AFME with the European Commission and, and with the U.K., at the end of the day, I mean, the industry is going to be responsible on overseeing this on behalf of their clients who are issuers, as is the corporate community. So all of these parties have to be engaged in this process to get it right. And likewise, investors to find it usable. You've already just sort of touched on this, but I, I guess I'm curious, what would you like to see from regulators as we continue in this transition? And are there any that are kind of leading more than others in this effort? Well, I think, you know, in terms of the, so if we just take sort of disclosure, we do think there should be a disclosure regime for ESG in the US. We think it should be based on materiality in the same way that the existing financial disclosure regime is built. It needs to be an evolving structure because we have to remember as well that the data around climate and the models are, are in some cases are relatively new. And so, you know, we have to recognize that this isn't is uh, completely equivalent to, you know, traditional financial reporting. And so we have to allow that to develop. Importantly, from an underwriter standpoint, you know, in the U.S., there very much needs to be a safe harbor for underwriters because more than ever, we're relying on the data being provided to us by the issuer. And again, it, it's new data. There are new methodologies. Those methodologies could be changing over time. And so we need some protection in relying on what's being provided to us. But at the end of the day, we have a very, as I said before, we have a very strong foundation to build off of. And rather than recreate the wheel, we should leverage that disclosure foundation that we have in the U.S. and build on top of that using the same principles. So that's you know, where we've been engaging as SIFMA on behalf of our members. And, and again, my colleagues at AFME are better versed as it relates to what's going on in Europe and the UK. But again, very similar approach. So you mentioned you know, the benefits of some kind of standardization when it comes to an ESG disclosure. And obviously, greenwashing has attracted some not so friendly headlines you know, as of late. 
So I mean, be it a company's a total marketing approach or a specific bond or anything, there's just been some pretty rough news on that. So what can the industry do to tackle that problem? Well, you know, we've talked to the SEC about that and we want to work with the SEC. Chair Gensler has been, you know, certainly been outspoken on this and said he would like to address this. I, I can't remember exactly how he says it, but something to the effect of, you know, if you're saying something is something, it ought to be what it is, right? And those are my words. I think he said more eloquently than I just said it. And so our buy side members are eager to work with the commission to come up with a workable standard of disclosure that when you say it's a green product or green investment, it is. How do you define that? Uh, the other thing that's going to be important here, though, as well, and Europe, I think, is also, I don't want to say struggling with this, but trying to address this is, you know, there are th- certain things that will be green and you have to kind of decide what are the parameters of green, but also what are the parameters of transitional or transformational? So, you know, moving so-called brown to green and, and as you make the transition towards carbon neutral or, or net zero, in certain industries are going to need assistance in how they make that transition. How do you categorize that? How do you define that? And what do you call that? So I think there's going to be work to do here, but we definitely have expressed our interest in working with the commission to address the issue of greenwashing, which we agree that to the extent that's occurring, that's not beneficial to the market. So just real quick though, in terms of you know those transitional fuels or transitional power sources. So is there anything in the market structure that can kind of phase those out? Or is that just going to, you can let the market go on its own? I mean, will regulators come in and say, hey, you know, natural gas is considered transitional for the next 10 years, but after that, it's gone. Like, how do you see that taking shape? Well, I mean, it's an interesting question because, you know, <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of a chicken or egg thing here also. So, I mean, I, I, I was having a discussion with a senior British policymaker this past summer at a sidebar and and he was making the point, you know, we're trying to make this transition very much a priority of the British government, but we're still going to need jet fuel for a number of years, right? And, you know, we're not going to ground our jets. And and that's true with everyone. And on our conference yesterday, we had one of the large US airlines talking about their transition. The thing that policymakers need to, you know, and this is, I guess, above my pay grade, but the thing that policymakers need to consider is as they want to make the transition, how they do it. And if they want to wean the economy off certain types of activities, be they, you know, fossil fuels or certain fossil fuels, whatever it may be, you know, they need to think about doing it. I think just saying oh, all we need to do is cut off their financing is a little bit indirect to me as opposed to saying that we want to phase out the use of certain fuels at a certain point in time. Now, they, in doing so, they're going to have to consider how quickly can they bring up you know, alternative fuels, biofuels, you know, whatever it is. But to me, and this is a, my personal view, just suggesting that we will leverage the financial sector to accomplish a policy goal indirectly as opposed to explicitly addressing the policy goal is not a very efficient means to doing it. So again, going back to using jet fuel as an example, you definitely want to see that marketplace develop. You definitely want to see people investing in it. You see customer demand for it. The airlines are having demands from their own customers on it. So you want to make sure you're getting financing into that. And I think you are. But it's really it's really not up to the financial sector to make the decision when you want uh, all jet fuel to be non-fossil based. That's really a higher level policy decision. But what you do want to do is you want to continue to incentivize 
investment in developing new types of carbon neutral or carbon or, or carbon less products to replace, you know, more carbon heavy products. I also wanted to just ask you about ESG investment products, which have seen huge surge in demand this year. Do you think that demand is going to keep up or is this just a good year for that? I think it's going to keep up and I'll tell you why. Over the past five years, as I've talked to executives uh, among our member firms, uh, particularly in the, in the private client wealth management uh, side, you know, they've talked about increasing demand from their financial advisors who are hearing from their clients of wanting to have access to certain types of ESG investment. So I think to me, there's almost nothing more powerful than consumer demand. And that trend line has been growing for a number of years. You know, maybe it's peaking this year in some ways or it's spiking up, but I don't think it's uh, transitory. I think it's, it's just a growing demand. And then, of course, large institutional investors are obviously, uh, you know, from pension funds and others, as you read, they're not members of SIFMA, but, you know, are certainly, you know, increasing their demand and they're going to feel it from their own member base. And, and then lastly, I'd say, I mean, you know, we're very pleased with the recent proposal from the uh, U.S. Department of Labor with respect to benefit plans of taking a, a very neutral approach and allowing how plans can offer an ESG product or investment as part of their platform. And so I think this is an ongoing demand. I think, as I said, I think that's more powerful than anything in terms of driving investment, you know, obviously incentives, ability to return, market demand, but also you've got investor sentiment and demand, and that's a very powerful force. All right. Well, before we get out of here, we always like to ask our guests for bold predictions, where you see markets going in the next five to 10 years, you know, is sustainable finance even a thing or is it all kind of just wrapped into what we would call finance at that time? So do you have any bold predictions on what we'll be talking about when we discuss sustainable finance in 10 years? I, I hate to make, I mean, I, you know, I was an investment banker, not a financial advisor. And so I'm not good at, I shouldn't be predicting markets. And then I was also a, a politician to boot. Look, I think this is a more than a trend, right? I mean, this is a new product development in the same way, probably that, you know, when I was an investment banker, the only people that worked on computers were the quant people. And, you know, and now we have computers on our phones and in our cars and everywhere else. And, you know, we can't live without them. And so I think this is true that this is going to march along and I can't predict the future. But I, I think the one thing I am quite confident of just having it, you know, thinking about the last several decades, you know, we're going to be doing stuff 10 years from now that we never thought of today. And I think that's true in the climate and sustainable space. Well, you know what, Ken? Thank you very much. Uh, we know you're very busy. You've got a lot of obligations and a lot of responsibilities all around the world, but we really appreciate you joining us to share your insights. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this and appreciate the opportunity. That's our show for today. But before we get out of here, we just want to say a quick thank you to the exclusive sponsor of today's episode, ICE. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And be sure to follow us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Modern Money Pod. And if you'd like a daily dose of Modern Money news delivered to your inbox, head on over to SmartBrief.com and sign up for the Modern Money Smart Brief. The Modern Money Smart Pod is a production of SmartBrief, a future company. <laughs>